Hi, and welcome to season one of the Mental Fitness Podcast with me, Anthony Taylor. This is the podcast where we look at what it takes to be mentally fit. That intersection between mental toughness, emotional intelligence, and good mental health. We interview some of the best people from the sporting, business, and psychological worlds to bring you the stories and suggestions on how to build your mental fitness. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week. There are a lot of other people on my social medias and group chats, all of that, who were only seeing the negatives out of it. Um, And that was not at all how I wanted to deal with the whole pandemic situation. We had no idea what was going on at the time, no idea how big this COVID-19 would be. And, you know, all, all we knew was that it had completely wiped out our season. We had no idea when we were gonna start playing again. So I think throughout that time of lockdown, there was no other choice but to be positive because otherwise I was probably just going to lay in bed and watch Netflix play and that wouldn't have been productive. (laughs) So if you like what you hear over the rest of this episode, then please join the conversation with me on Instagram at anttaylor72 or on LinkedIn where you can find me under Anthony Taylor Mental Fitness and please subscribe. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. Today, I'm really excited to bring to you a lovely young lady who I've known since since she was born, but she is one of the UK's most exciting golfing talents. And just let me read out a little bit of what she's done. So she won the England Under-13 Championships, and then she was playing for the National Under-18 team when she was 15. She won her first Great Britain Ireland cap as well at the age of 15. And she has also represented Great Britain and Ireland not once but twice in the Curtis Cup, both in 2016 and 2018. She represented England twice at the European Girls Team Championships and five times for the European Ladies Championship. And she then went on to uh, attend Clemson University over in America. She's one of the first women ever to play at the Augusta National in the Women's Amateur Championships in 2019. And she also captured the European Ladies Amateur Championship that year and ended up getting her card, preferred professional card in 2020, which she then went out to win her opening event, her inaugural event in South Africa at the South African Open. So today I want to introduce you to Alice Hewson. Thank you, nice to be here. I joked with you just offline, it's quite a rap sheet, isn't it, for someone quite so young? Uh, yeah, didn't, when you say it all together like that, uh, it definitely sounds like it, yeah. I know, uh, I asked you what you want, how you wanted me to introduce you, and uh, I think you put two things down, so I thought there's no way I'm going to let you get away with that. I'm just going to let everybody know all the things you've achieved. So, Alice, I want to start out with a question that I'm asking all the guests on our first season of this podcast, which is, what does mental toughness mean to you? I think for me, it is someone's ability to deal with and overcome different situations whether that's in a sport environment or in an everyday environment and just kind of how efficiently they deal with those situations yeah I think that's a great example of it overcoming those how you deal with those different situations you've had um quite a lot of different situations to deal with you know before or while at the same time as you were developing your uh, your golf skills you're also a really talented swimmer weren't you yes um my mum used to own her own swimming club and now coaches at Berkhamsted School. So definitely heavily involved in swimming kind of the whole way up through my childhood. 
So it was definitely a really important part of my life and doing that competitively at the same time of competitive golf was a bit of a challenge time-wise. Um, you know, not enough hours in the day to kind of do everything, but I think it was really, really beneficial to me in the long run. What age were you when you decided to make that choice and, and how difficult or easy was that choice? I believe I was around 14. Um, and I, my parents knew enough had to force me to make a decision. You know, I was approaching GCSE years which would obviously really increase the school load. And it was just becoming a point in both my golf and my swimming where I really had to just dedicate more time to one or the other of the sports if I really wanted to excel at either one of them. So it, it really just came down to I needed hours in the day. I think for swimming, it's not a professional sport. Um, you know, it's really hard to get any form of sponsorship to earn a living from it. You know, the career, your career is going to be an awful lot shorter as a swimmer compared to a golfer. Um, so I just really felt that for me, the right decision was to go down the golf route as it was something I could do forever. And then, so you did your GCSEs, you did your A-levels, you achieved some of those great things early on as, a, as an amateur when you were doing that. And then you took a really brave step, didn't you, to go to the US to university. You went to Clemson University. Yeah, I think that was a huge step for me and probably one of the most important parts of my development both as a person and as a golfer moving 4,000 miles away from home at 17 years old definitely wasn't easy but I was in a really good position I was lucky enough to have committed to Clemson 20 months before I went I had visited campus six or seven times before starting school so I was just really familiar with my surroundings and I think that would be a common theme today. <laughs> Being familiar and prepared is kind of all what I'm about. So I felt really great going over there and just learned so much as I said about myself and about my goals. That's really interesting you talk about being familiar and prepared. Tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean? It's kind of with all aspects of my life. Preparing for plan A, plan B, all the way down to plan Z is kind of how my brain is wired. I love planning. I love the preparation that goes into it. And then I feel like I can just kind of relax when I get into the situation. If I don't plan, I tend to panic a little bit, become overwhelmed and become really unproductive. So kind of that planning preparation and you know, visiting Clemson, being familiar with the campus, the coaches, my team members, just learning about where different classrooms were. It just meant that I could kind of hit the ground running once I got there rather than having a mad panic in the first month of school. So where do, you, do you think some of that was always, you know, the nature bit or do you think that some of that's been nurtured because of either the swimming and the performing at sport, albeit amateur sport, but at a high level with the swimming and the golf? I definitely think it's a mix. The swimming side of things definitely kind of encourages that behaviour. You just show up to the pool, you get told exactly what you're going to do and how long it's going to take you to do it. <laughs> it's kind of prescribed work, but you know, you might not always enjoy it, but you just kind of have to get on and do it. And that's something that I've noticed over the years that I also want more in the golf side of things too. I want my coach to kind of give me a checklist of these are the things you need to do every single day. These are the things you do on this day. We give um, each day of the week kind of a different little name. So you've got Movement Monday, where our focus is purely on the technique of the swing. Um, and like different days like that, which will really kind of help focus me in on what my task is for that day. 
um, and just give me guidance on what I need to do. When we're looking at the four C's model of mental toughness, we look at the first component to it is around control. And some of that is around the things that we can control. So life control and then emotional control. So it sounds like for you, the more that you feel or the more that you're focusing on the things that you can control, your preparation and other things, the better your emotional control is in terms of going into tournaments or events or other other experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a thing we focused on a decent amount while I was at Clemson about controlling what you can control, giving yourself the best opportunity to perform as well as possible. But for me, I think that was a big learning curve in not trying to control the things I can't control. I'm definitely a bit of a control freak. So to kind of have to learn to let go of certain things, whether that's how someone else is playing or like the pin position. I can't control whether Greenkeeper cut the pin that day. Like learning to not fuss over those things has definitely been a learning curve. So tell me about that learning curve. Then what kind of tools and techniques do you do you consciously apply to do that? Because I think that's something we all struggle with, isn't it? Letting go of the things that we can't control and focusing on, on those things that we can. So what, what tools and techniques do you use? I think kind of learning more about my processes and my routines in my golf game have kind of been key for that and just like sticking to what I know trying not to deviate from those processes. So in my routine, I take a practice swing first, stand behind it, and then walk in and hit the shot. And by kind of keeping that consistency throughout, it's helping me not to try to control the other things. And, you know, just being accepting of, okay, there's a dodgy pin or some other girl is taking 27 shots in the trees. And just really focusing in on my own processes, my routines, and not worrying too much about the other things. When you hit a bad shot, and I'm sure you've hit, hit a few, nowhere near as many as I have, but when you hit a bad shot, how do you maintain that composure? It can sometimes be difficult, especially if it's gone into like a water hazard or something, but really trying to just reset. If I have a walk between shots, that's definitely an awful lot easier because you have that. 30, 40 seconds, however long it is, to get to the ball, calm self down and hit that reset button and go straight back into that process. I think this year, being out on tour for the first time and having a caddy with me has really, really helped that process because all of a sudden, I'm not alone out on the golf course. I have someone else who's out there who's in my corner and the only thing they want is for me to do well. So they can pull me off of a shot. If they can tell that I am like ready to hit this shot really quickly and I haven't reset they'll be like hey let me just clean that you've got some mud on your on your club and they'll kind of bring me out of it we'll restart the discussion and I can completely restart my routine and just that bit of time in between really helps to hit that reset button that's a great point there isn't it I know I'm um reading a lot around stoic philosophy and we we talk about that and some of the training I do with people as well around mental skills is around there's something that happens to us, the event, and then often there's our reaction or response. And the more we can extend that gap between the event and our response, we can choose then the kind of response we want to have, where a lot of the time we just react, don't we? Something goes wrong, you hit it in the sand trap, and you know you lose that kind of emotional control. So anything you can do to reset that. Is that something that's consciously you've worked with sports psychologists or other mental skills coaches on over the years? We have done a little bit. Um, the coaches who we have spoken to at Clemson 
were really helpful in that. They were helpful in kind of a t- working with our whole team. Um, and that was this was a huge focus of ours, you know, the controlling what we can control. And that was it, taking away the impulse reaction, whether that be a slam of the club, snapping a club, shouting, all of the fun stuff that goes with hitting terrible shots on the golf course, trying to reduce those initial emotions and just kind of keep as steady as we can. There are going to be ups and downs, but try to narrow down those margins. And when have you, or rather, how do you deal with pressure? You were last few holes in South Africa, things are looking good. You're conscious that you don't want to lose it in the last couple of holes. How do you deal with that kind of pressure? Obviously, it always depends on the situation, but it always kind of comes back down to the processes and the decisions that I made actually prior to that actual situation. So it comes down to my planning again. The great thing about golf is we get practice rounds. So I'd say probably 90% of my decisions get made in those two practice rounds before the week of tournament golf actually begins. Able to kind of take out all the kinks in my game plan, figure out if I'm going to go for a par five in two or a reachable par four, stuff like that. And really just try not to waver from that if I see other people do something slightly different to me. But kind of having those game plans and the plan A, plan B, plan C, and just the experience of years and years of competitive golf, knowing maybe when to take my medicine and chip out sideways and try to make up and down. I think that has been really beneficial over the past few years of dealing with pressure. I know it definitely did in South Africa. I found myself in some unusual places on the golf course coming up the last hole, but I was just really able to kind of stick with what I wanted to do, what I was trying to achieve with that single shot to set me up to make an up and down, which ultimately ended with a win. So I think it's that ability, isn't it, you're talking about there, to the ability to really focus on the task at hand, separate the emotions that you might be feeling and stick to that that, that process that you've developed, the pre-shot routine or the game plan going into, into, the, into the tournament that's gonna, that allows you to keep performing consistently at that high level. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of just a way to minimise the feeling of the pressure and almost taking it away. I've been in some great situations these past year where being a rookie, no one expects too much from a rookie golfer. So not having any expectations um, for me to go out and win, for me to go out and be successful, there's, it takes away such a huge amount of that pressure because all it is is whatever I'm feeling. So if I can control how I'm feeling and there's no other expectations, then the pressure is really minimal. And that's interesting, isn't it? We talk about that, or I talk about that when I'm working with clients, the difference between stress and pressure. And pressure, as I describe it, is, you know, it's when the outcome is dependent on your ability to perform or respond. That's what pressure is. So it's being able to deal with those conditions. I forgot to mention in my introduction, of course, that last year you won the Rose Lady Series Grand Final, didn't you? So it was over three different courses. The first round was at North Hants, which is where Justin Rose started his golf as a junior. Then we went to the Berkshire and then to Wentworth. But unfortunately, our final day at Wentworth was cancelled due to a wildfire, which completely took over the golf course. Um, so we were only able to play seven and a half holes that day. Wow. So you were how close were you to that? Because I remember seeing some of the pictures thinking, Maggie, that really did look like a proper wildfire. 
luckily I was about 200 yards away from where it was happening but there were girls that were within 50 yards easily um you know we're next to a train line and in the middle of the summer just kind of all the undergrowth is really dry and a spark from the train lit everything up and acres and acres of ground went up in flames it was crazy a really really different uh outcome than what we were expecting for the day while that was going on did you have to play any holes while that was you were aware that that was going on or or is it that started and then you just stopped so from about the third hole we could see smoke and a local person just kind of assured us oh no just be a house fire or something like not too big of a deal won't affect us and it was really quite a quick turnaround from when we figured out oh there's a really huge wildfire here to when we were pulled off the course I think it was maybe one shot some of the other girls had to probably play about a hole but it it sparked and grew so quickly that we were very very quickly evacuated from the course Um, we waited for several hours inside the clubhouse waiting to hear if we were going to get back out that day we were told no we were going to come back the following morning um while they kind of took that time to get the fire under control so it was it was a strange day going I wasn't playing my best golf but I was scoring well um I was putting myself in some really unusual situations and making just absolutely outrageous up and downs from everywhere so had extended my lead day two which was a really good feeling but to be brought off the course I had probably one of the hardest shots on the golf course coming up for what I would be going back to the second day. So to spend that next 12 hours thinking about that shot, mentally preparing for the shot and just kind of plan, it it comes back to the planning, planning what I wanted to do, where the correct leave was um, and all of that. But it ended up getting cancelled. I never got to fulfil the plans. Never to fulfil the plans. You talk there about mentally preparing for shots. How important is or how much do you do with visualisation? I think that's really important in golf um, because there are so many different aspects that go into each and every shot. You've got the wind, you've got the lie. Do you want to hit it high, low, straight, fading, drawing, everything about that kind of all goes into the planning and the preparation of the shot. And nine times out of 10, that all happens really quickly. And you just instantly see the type of shot that you want to hit. And those are the best ones because, you know, it's just, oh, I'm just going to hit this. Fine, perfect. Uh, But the shots that require a little bit more imagination, those are the ones where visualization is definitely important. Kind of planning where you want to start the ball. What do you have to do in order to start the ball on that line? Okay, I want it to move left to right by 10 yards. Okay, I need to adjust my setup in a certain way and swing along the line at my feet. And that's where I feel like it's really good for me. I'm so black and white and I follow steps. And so kind of making those adjustments, I can just go through the steps and the shot's gonna come off. So you talked about there the visualization you play in your head going through the pre-shot routine. You know, I think I've got to move it left to right 10 yards, whatever. Do you consciously engage in visualization, you know, during your, uh, and when you're not on the golf course, having done, say, a practice round going into tournament, do you kind of mentally rehearse what you're going to do on each hole roughly or? I definitely go through it with my caddy. And I think that's a big part of kind of reflecting on the practice rounds. Um, and that's something I'm kind of having to be learning on the fly this year, having to deal with caddies for the first time. 
but kind of spending those two rounds in the moment and kind of dealing with the shots there but then afterwards going back having the course planner open and working our way through the course and discussing it in a different way with the visualization of okay we're going to hit this drive to the right side of this fairway because it opens up the green more kind of all those little details that you almost don't realize while you're on the course but that reflection afterwards is so important and how are you because you're not having the same caddy as going around with you are you at that stage yet so do you have different caddies in different uh, locations yeah last year I had like I had many different caddies from professional caddies to my boyfriend has caddied for me a few times and I took a long time friend to a tournament as well so I've definitely been dealing with very different people um when my boyfriend caddies I have to take a lot more responsibility for the planning the processing um plotting my way around a course versus having a professional caddy where I can release a lot of that and just kind of have the discussion on the spot be like okay what do I need to hit that's awesome. a boyfriend caddy for how does that go down if you've had a bad round <laughs> we haven't had to deal with that yet so that's all right I've only played well when he's been on the bag all right okay that's good so how do you find adjusting between different caddies? You know, you've talked a lot about process and the, you know, the mechanical skills of golf honed over thousands of hours of practice. How important is, would you say, you know, emotional intelligence, rapport, being able to get on with someone that you've maybe never met before and then instantly delve into a high performance relationship under a pressure situation? How do you, how do you manage that? I think it's challenging to be able to, kind of switch between people so frequently but I think the most important step is speaking to them before I agree to working with them um I have consistently made sure that I've had a phone call with them or several phone calls with them kind of had a list of things I want to know how they work like I want to start the conversation not talking about how what I want on the golf course but how they normally work on the course because then if I if if that aligns, it's perfect. And we're going to have a great relationship. Um, but just kind of making sure I get on with the person, as you say, is really important because it's impossible to stay completely focused for five hours on a golf course. That's just not going to happen. So ensuring that you actually have other stuff to talk about with these people while on the golf course between shots. And I think that's what helps with that reset between shots if you've hit a bad one to be able to spend that 40 seconds having a different conversation with someone walking down the fairway I think that can be a huge game changer on the course yeah it's funny isn't it I wonder um what you think of this there's a one of the world's top sport psychologists back in the 80s was a guy called Jim Lua he went on to found the Johnson and Johnson Human Performance Institute out in Florida and he identified with tennis players who's looking at what was the difference between top 10 and, and the top 100. And what he noticed was it's what they did between points, how they managed their emotional, mental and physical energy between those points that allowed them to maintain their energy over the course of a two, three or four hour game. Uh, that So when the clutch, you know, uh, clutch point happened, they could execute that, that decision-making and that action at the high level that meant they won the point. Uh, rather than trying to, uh, trying to um, you know, maintain their complete focus for such a three or four hour match. So it sounds like you, 
you do that same thing there, that kind of switch off. Yeah, definitely. And I think you have to. I mean, for tennis, that must be crazy. They're on the go all the time. So I think, yeah, that kind of moment to just have a breather, think think your own thoughts for a minute and not just about the sport that you're doing, I think it's so important. Yeah, that's something when I'm working a lot with corporate, as I call them corporate, corporate athletes, I mean, managers and organisations, you know, whatever level, it's this, they are, you know, there seems to be this expectation that they have to start at nine or, or whatever and work non-stop flat out till five or six. And that's just not possible. So I'm really trying to encourage them to, look after every half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever, take a break, just two or three minutes to mentally refresh, do something a bit different, get a glass of water, whatever it is, but you can't expect yourself to perform mentally at such a high level without those little breaks. Absolutely. It would be completely unrealistic to go for that long without a, at least a little pause. So when, um, tell me about some of your failures, because I've, I've listed out a whole uh, great list of fantastic successes. What are some of the failures that you've had in life? There have definitely been some. Um, and I think a lot of them come from when things don't go exactly how I expected them to go. And, you know, I never used to plan for plan B all the way through Z. I used to just plan for plan A. And that was exactly when I would kind of be really shocked when something new would happen. I wouldn't be adaptable in any way and would quickly become overwhelmed and not make good decisions. I think some like important bits were trying to make a Curtis Cup team. You know, I became obsessed with, okay, I need to play really well so that I can earn my spot in this team. And you come to a point of trying too hard. I get out of my routines. I get out of my processes. And then when, when I hit a bad shot, I panic. I'm kind of like, oh no, like, what do I do now? And I did a, I made a really good effort of trying to not make those Curtis Cup teams. Um, I had a string of some really bad events just because I was trying so hard to make them and you know I think a lot of those situations come with a lot of expectation around them too I expected to make those teams my parents did the selectors did so to then not meet those expectations and be trying so hard um, I think that's definitely where I've really struggled I've not been mentally tough in any way shape or form um, but you know I've definitely learned over the years that I need to be better at dealing with adversities that I don't see coming and this is still kind of something that is going on in everyday life I'm making all these different plans something comes along and blows all of those plans up um, I've even had stuff this week with I've come home to the to the UK to try and get my visa sorted out I had everything planned and then all of a sudden the UK brought in quarantine and having to test to release it's like oh okay I'll reschedule everything I've replanned everything so that I could come back and do the test release program fine finally back on track so I go about my next few days then all of a sudden I find out that the U.S. Embassy don't accept the test to release program and all of this planning all of these trips that I've done are going to be completely useless because I'm not going to be able to go to the embassy and during these time when my plans are not going to plan and these unforeseen circumstances keep coming up I almost shut down um I ignore the things that actually matter you know my golf gets put on a back burner 
my fitness gets put on a back burner and all the things that should be really important get shoved to one side while I'm trying to fix these plans and there's some things that I I need to deal with in the future to get better at and kind of juggle all of those pieces all at the same time and that's something we've all had to do isn't it we've had to learn to adapt to changing circumstances with scenarios that are completely beyond our control and so it sounds like it's still a journey in progress for you as it is for all of us oh definitely yeah and this is this is something that will take a very long time my dad likes to describe me as a lemming um you know just kind of keep plodding along doing what i want to do so when something comes and blows up that plan it definitely still impacts me quite a lot and that's what i need to work on so when lockdown happened i think i'm right you were back in the uk weren't you yes yeah how did you go about when you couldn't go out anywhere how did you keep on top of your golf game i managed to get my hands on a net very quickly which was good because apparently they sold out super fast and i'm really lucky we have a big garden so i was able to kind of use my net in my back garden um again being in Compton for four years I've been used to FaceTiming my coach for lessons and not always having him in person so that for me wasn't too different so I was able to FaceTime him in the garden using my net and kind of continue with all of the technical progress that I wanted to make I also have a 13 foot putting kind of board where I can putt along it's like a miniature green so I was able to continue doing stroke work for my putting. Um, just kind of, I was able to do what I could do. And I tried to make the most of the situation. And I actually really enjoyed my time at home. It was really unexpected. But I don't think I'd spent that long at home with my family in probably eight or nine years. Um, to have that huge chunk of time with them was actually really nice and refreshing. I saw what you did to the, to the to your dad's garden, by the way, with all that practice. <laughs> so uh, I know you had to reseed it after you'd gone back, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he did. All of it. So interesting you talked about having that time with your family. And, and did you consciously look for the positives in that situation? Did that help with dealing with you know, the challenges that you were facing because of lockdown? Yeah, I absolutely had to. Um, there are a lot of other people on my social medias and group chats, all of that, who... We're only seeing the negatives out of it. Um, and that was not at all how I wanted to deal with the whole pandemic situation. We had no idea what was going on at the time, no idea how big this COVID-19 would be. And, you know, all, all we knew was that it had completely wiped out our season. We had no idea when we were going to start playing again. Um, you know, we're so grateful that Justin Rose and Kate Rose were able to help us out and, start the Justin Rose Ladies series and that really helped kind of boost morale it gave everyone a reason to start playing again and kind of hope that some of our season might come back so I think you know throughout that time of lockdown there was no other choice but to be positive because otherwise I was probably just going to lay in bed and watch Netflix play and that wouldn't have been productive (laughs) (laughs) and I'm really glad you talked about that that purpose bit there because I think for me I've been looking at studying mental toughness for about eight years now seven eight years and I work with this four C's model of mental toughness when I'm working with people athletes and so on as well but I've often been wondering for a while that I think in the middle of that needs to sit values and purpose and I wondered what you thought about the importance of values and purpose is it something you've thought about? Purpose is a huge thing for me if I don't see 
value, uh, as you said, value and purpose in something that I'm being told to do, I just simply won't do it. You know, I already said earlier that I like to be told kind of what to do. But if if someone comes over and tells me to do 10 squats or something, because that's going to help my golf. And after two weeks, that hasn't helped in any way, shape or form. It's just to hurt my knee or something like that. I'll just be like, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's clearly not going to help me in any way. And I'll just bin it off. And, you know, I've been guilty that in the past, we've had workout programs that haven't been what I've been wanting from a workout program. For me, a golfer needs speed, flexibility, and core stability. Those are the three things that I'm looking for out of a gym program. So if someone's come along and has given me a program that's not what I'm looking for, I just kind of bend it off. And rather than going, oh yeah, you know, it'll still give me general fitness help. I've gone, well, that's not helping me. Not going to do that. So I think purpose is really, really important in what I do. Um, And yet throughout that lockdown, it was the most important thing because you're playing, you're practicing for something, for a reason. Um, It's hard work. And we don't always love <laughs> practicing and grinding it out all day, every day. So to have that, whether it's a major tournament or a regular tournament, just to have a reason behind what we're doing, for me, it's really important. So you've talked a lot about process over the course of our conversation today and, and focusing on that rather than on the outcome. I, I often see that with lots of people as they focus on this big, hairy outcome goal, and that can become quite capacitating and it is sounds like it is much better to say well that's great that's my goal maybe I want to win a tournament this season so what are the steps that are going to get me there what are the things that I need to focus on and and work on those smaller process incremental goals is that something you're comfortable doing yeah and I think kind of using them as like stepping stones to kind of review where you're currently at um you know stats are the most important thing for a golfer looking at where you're currently at what areas are letting you down and where you need to improve and that's the information that I can then take back to my coaches and say here this isn't right help me fix it um so yeah I think it's really important are you quite methodical and analytical in looking at your game measuring things and keeping a record of not only where you are in the last few months but where you've come from yeah, definitely. I'm very, very analytical. I did an accounting degree while I was at Clemson. So numbers are definitely my thing. So kind of keeping on top of those, looking at where I want to get to in the future versus where I am now and how I can get there is, yeah, kind of what we're looking at. How have you gone about adjusting to, you know, being now on the on the ladies tour and playing with, you know, some of these more familiar names like Charlie Hall and Georgia Hall and, um, even some of the old, you know, the people that I would know more like, um, oh, what's she called? Laura. Laura Davis. Laura Davis. Yes. My generation. I'm showing my age now, aren't I? So, um, yeah. How, how did you adjust playing with suddenly being in thrust from an amateur with all these people rubbing shoulders with these golfing greats? It's really been a learning curve. Um, so I played my first professional event as an amateur after I won the European Am, went and played the British Open. And I was just in awe the whole week. Um, I was kind of just walking around wide-eyed and 
I just couldn't believe that I was there. So having to go from that to all of a sudden, okay, this is my job. I actually need to deal with this week in, week out. It's just another person. It's okay. I know they're super famous, but you've got to beat them. <laughs> um, has definitely been, it's been interesting, but I feel like with some of the younger girls, like the likes of Georgia, Bronte Law, I was really lucky in that we overlapped a little bit in the England golf setup. So I've been around these girls for years. I've gotten to know them. I've roomed with Georgia before um, and kind of knowing her more as a friendly face rather than, wow, this is major winner Georgia Hall, um, I think has been a bit of an advantage for me in making that adjustment. So that's great. You got to know some of them and that's really helpful, isn't it? Um, how else, are there any sort of conscious things that you've thought about or, or process you've gone through to help you make that adjustment? Because, you know, as human beings, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, um, you know, whether it's, you know, physically, mentally, salary, job title, whatever it is. How do you deal with that? I think I just more look at how they play and what I can learn from how they play. Um, Georgia is so consistent. She just kind of looks like she's plodding along very nicely. She'll roll in a few, few putts not make too many mistakes and all of a sudden you look at the scorecard at the end and she shot a 66 and kind of learning from her how to just be really consistent you can tell she's very calm level-headed throughout the game how she carries herself the whole round and that's all stuff that I kind of look to learn from from her versus Charlie who I feel like is the complete opposite player she hits the ball very hard and you can tell that she hits it hard and she's aggressive with her putting with her lines into greens kind of all of that and you know she hits it very close because she's aggressive so taking that aspect of her game and trying to learn from that and include that in my game all of these superstars that I've been able to play with and watch I'm just trying to take little nuggets from each of their individual games and see what I can learn from them to hopefully end up as good or better than them one day. So if you had to choose one player from the female tour and one for the male tour that you most admire, whether that's for their golf skills or how they handle themselves or the complete package, who would you, who would you say one from each? I think from the men's tour, it would probably be Rory McIlroy. It's a bit of a standard answer, but I love how he is on the course. He always looks confident, even if he's not necessarily playing his best. He, especially walking down the fairways, not as much on the greens, but walking down the fairways, he always looks confident in his game and his ability. And he had a rough week a couple of weeks ago, and there were videos of him instantly after the round. He'd missed the cut by a mile on the range, working on his swing. So I love that kind of the dedication, the hard work that he puts in. And he shows it. He's not afraid to show the world that he has to work really hard for what he is. You know, you don't just turn into Rory McIlroy overnight. So, yeah, I love how he carries himself and he hits the ball a long way, which is great too. Um, and then for the female game, I'd probably say Emily Pedersen. Um, she's a Danish golfer. She won the final three events on the LET season last year and she's someone who I've been around for several years you know she was a standout amateur golfer really great gives the ball a good hit hits at a mile um 
And again, I love how she carries herself on the course, but these past couple of years, she struggled on the course mentally, kind of everything that goes with it. So to have seen how she has turned everything around in this past year after struggling for two years and to come back, win again on tour, and then a couple of weeks later, win three tournaments in a row. I think that's an amazing achievement and really inspiring. You're coming into a, a new season. Um, looks like things are opening up again, which is brilliant. I know you're back out. You're going to be you're going to be crossing the Atlantic quite a lot, aren't you? You're you're going to be playing a lot of golf on the on the Ladies European Tour as well as on the US side of it, the Sumatra Tour. Sumatra Tour, yeah. I'll definitely be getting my air miles in this year. You will, you will. So what are your goals for this season? What are your hopes? This season is going to be a real balancing act um, between playing on the LET, which obviously I did most of last year and have loved. I love playing on the LET. We have a really exciting year this year. Um, we've got a great schedule, loads of money on offer. So kind of balancing playing over here for some more money versus playing as much as I can on the Symmetra Tour trying to do as well in as many events as I can over there to potentially earn an LPGA card straight away or to put myself in a position where I go in at the final stage of Q school and, again, set myself up for a really good opportunity to try and get an LPGA card. Fantastic. So a lot of miles, a lot of practice, a lot of playing for this year. Oh, yeah. Lots of playing. You're only 22, is that right? 23. 23 now. God, time flies. So if you were to have to give one bit of advice to, you know, someone who's aged between 16 and 23, um, who is perhaps, you know, got an idea of where they'd like to be in life, what they might like to achieve, um, what would be your what would be your message? I think the biggest thing is just to have fun. No matter what you decide you want to go into, whether you're stuck between two things, to always just make sure you have fun along the way because then it will never feel like you're working I feel like I'm in such a privileged position to be able to play a game for my job um, and I wish everyone could have that opportunity find that passion find something you love and it's that old adage when you do that you never work a day in your life almost yeah absolutely Alice it's been wonderful to to talk to you to catch up um, I'm really excited for your for your new season and wishing you all the very best I no doubt you'll be and fantastically successful and I will be following your progress uh, along with the rest of the boys uh, very closely so thank you for taking the time to talk with me today thank you very much for having me on I really enjoyed it thanks for listening to today's episode and if you haven't already please subscribe it only takes a moment but it makes a massive difference to the visibility of the show and how many people we can reach you know, our mission is to help people develop the mental fitness so that they can achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. So it'd be great if you could do that. A big thanks to Charlotte Foster Podcast for her hard work on producing the show. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. And the music for show is Where to Run by Strength to Last, created by the musical talents of Adrian Walther, a Canadian living in Nashville. Check out his music on Spotify and YouTube Music.